Matthew chapter 6 will be our passage tonight. And I want to thank the Lord for the pastor. That's right, we'll stand for the reading of the Word. I thank the Lord that he had it on his heart to lead the church in prayer. And certainly this is going on in a lot of places around the country. It needs to go on week after week, year after year, no matter who's in office. And but we are at a very critical time, as you well know. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 6. Now, I seldom ever uh, talk like this, but I want to say about Matthew 6 and this particular passage tonight that um, I get asked often, how many times do you preach a new sermon during the year since I'm not pastoring and not developing three and four sermons a week and all of that? And uh, the answer is 20, 25 in a year for the past 10 years. Uh, there are many of them, though, that, uh, you know, when you've preached for this many years, there are many that I've redone, reworked, updated, corrected, come back and look at some of my notes and think, man, I need to throw these in the trash or get them corrected right now before somebody sees what I said back there. And so that goes on. But oftentimes, uh, I'll go to a revival meeting, and in most meetings, uh, week after week after week, and I'm preaching some of the same sermons. I don't apologize for that at all. It takes hours and hours of labor to develop new sermons and then to rework and all of that. And it seems very much to me like I preached this passage here in this place. I may have. One of the great forms that preachers have... Uh, of self-flattery is to expect that anybody remembers what you preached. And so it seems like I have. I keep pretty good records. My records show that I have not. But this is a passage that I've used numerous times and continues to be. A, I, I never go through this passage nor preach it without it helping me. And I think that oftentimes if a a preacher is not affected by the Word of God. Could be not a lot of people are going to be affected by that message. So if you say, I marked it in my Bible that you preach this here. Well, my records don't show that, but it sure feels like I did. So I don't know if I did or not. Whether I did or not, I'm convinced we're where we're supposed to be. So let's begin reading in verse number 19. Verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves... Treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now these two verses are vitally important in my estimation to the understanding of Jesus' teaching in this passage. He says, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. Single simply has to do with a healthy eye, functioning as it is meant to function. And if the eye is single, your whole body is full of light. But if thine eye be evil, if there is a malady of the eye, and the focus is not there. Thy whole body should be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? 
It's not a question. It's a statement. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in mammon. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life. Let me read that carefully. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take your thought for raiment? Can consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Second time now. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Parentheses. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. End of parentheses. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Third time. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Father, we pray your blessings upon our time in the Word. We acknowledge our dependence upon you and ask you by your Holy Spirit to arrest uh, the attention. And as we speak about uh, the need to properly focus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would so work that we would focus upon this passage, focus upon why we are here. And I pray that all the distractions that might make the mind wonder about what has transpired today or what is after this service or tomorrow, I pray all of those things, God, would be put in their proper place and that you would have our attention from this incredible passage tonight. Thank you again for men and women that have the... Uh, spiritual fortitude and the spiritual thirst and the spiritual hunger to be assembled on this Monday night. I know that many worked hard today. Many fought traffic to get home and then to be here. And some probably haven't even been home yet. So I pray that you would bless and might your Holy Spirit work and accomplish your will in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and God bless you. you may be seated. If you have been saved any length of time, you've been involved in church for, let's say, two or more years, no doubt you have seen that you look around and someone that used to be here, someone that used to be involved, someone that used to be dependable, you could count on them being there, they're not there anymore. That's never a pleasant thing. That's never an easy thing. 
I know as a pastor that when you are, have the responsibility to feed the flock and care for the flock and uh, the spiritual oversight of the flock, it's very troubling when you see somebody start to drift here and they resign from being a deacon or a choir member or their Sunday school class. And the next thing you know, there's another step back and another step back and another step back. And then you don't see them at church on a Wednesday night and then it's a Sunday night and then you don't see them at all. Did you know that most people that uh, were once plugged in, uh, if I can use that term, that were once seemingly devoted and committed to following the Lord and serving the Lord, did you know most of them don't wake up one day and say, you know, I don't think I'll do this anymore. I think I'll just quit. That's usually not how it happens. Usually it's a process and a loss of focus along the way. And so there are people that are probably somewhere in the driving area of this congregation that used to be here and are not anymore. After pastoring 20 years, being a part of Southwest for the past 30 years, I could take you around town and I could show you some places in neighborhoods. Those people used to be there. They used to work a bus route. They used to sing in the choir. They used to teach a class. They did this and they did that. And you know what happened to most of them? They lost focus along the way. I, I could also take it to another level about churches. I've had the wonderful privilege in preaching in over 550 churches in our country over the years. And uh, some of the churches that I used to be invited to on a regular basis wouldn't even think of having a preacher like your pastor or me come and preach because they are nowhere like the church they once were. Not even recognizable as a solid Bible-believing uh, independent Baptist church. Not, not even recognizable. What happened? Loss of focus. Losing the ability to maintain the vision and the focus and distracted by the winds of change and distracted by perhaps disappointments or distracted by the appeal for something bigger, better, more appealing or more appetizing. It can happen in all kinds of ways, but basically it is a loss of focus. Now, the reason I bring that up is because Jesus is talking to his disciples about the matter of focus. The interesting thing to me about him talking to the disciples is that they are in the very early stages of their following of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, uh, when we are here in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, many of you know this is the Sermon on the Mount. And this is where Jesus went into a mountain, and he sat, and his disciples came unto him, and he sat, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, and then he gives them the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is not an evangelistic effort. This is Jesus discipling his disciples. Basically, it's Jesus saying to his disciples, if you're going to follow me, here's what it's going to look like. And then read the Sermon on the Mount, and you'll see what he expected then and what he expects now of those that would be, in fact, followers of Jesus Christ. And so very early on in their fellowship, Jesus pauses and he, and he says to them, uh, he says, uh, now don't lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He starts talking about their relationship to material things, treasures, riches, wealth, calls it mammon. In our verse that we read a while ago, things that are stuff, things, material things, mammon, things of this life, things of this world. And so Jesus calls their attention that they are not to give focus 
to the things of this life, to the treasures of this world, or to the things of the mammon of this world. That is not to be their focus. Now, when I say that he's talking to them about focus, it becomes very evident, doesn't it, in verse 22 and 23. Because he says, the light of the body is the eye. And we understand that we are able to see because rays of light come into our eyes. They come, the little rays of light. I had a doctor tell me, think of the rays of light as little arrows that come into your eye. And they hit this as a layman's version of it. They hit the lens of the eye. They're transferred from the lens to the retina, the retina to the optical nerve, the optical nerve to the brain, and the brain says, I see. And all of this happens over and over and over and over, faster than we're even able to think. That is why you're able to look up here and see, or see who's next to you and what's going on and how you're able to see. To drive here, the rays of light. No rays of light, no see. And so Jesus is talking to them. He says, now men, if you have a single eye, then you are able to focus upon the right thing. You are full of light. You should be able to navigate, make the right steps, make the right choices, make the right decisions. Then he goes on to say, but if thine eye be evil, if it, it, it is evident if there is a malady of the eye, if there is the inability to focus... And he said, if your eye be evil, then your body, rather than be full of light, is full of what? Darkness. And he said, if the only, strange how it's said here, but get the point. He said, if the only light that is in you is in fact darkness, how great is that darkness? You will not make the right steps. You will not focus properly. You will not make the right decisions. And so very early on in their fellowship of Jesus Christ, he is talking to them about being focused. And my thought is, the question that I would have as I consider this, is why would, how could they lose focus so soon? I mean, if you go back to chapter 5 where the Sermon on the Mount starts, we're, we're not going to go back and read there, but if you go back to chapter 5 where the Sermon on the Mount starts, and then back up into chapter 4, friends, he just chose them. He has just begun his miracle-working ministry. Talks about some of the miracles that are done. I'm just saying, this has to be in the very first weeks, months of Jesus' public ministry. And he has his disciples with him, and already they have lost focus or are losing focus. Why else would he call attention to it? And so he says to them, now, if you're single-eyed, you're going to be focused on the wrong things, uh, right things. If you have an evil eye, you're unable to focus clearly, then you're going to focus upon the wrong things. Well, uh, somebody might ask the question, what wrong things were they focused on? Well, look what he said to them in verse 25. He said, therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life. Stop right there. Now, I pointed out, he said that three times. I'm not going to read them all again. He said it three times. Take no thought for your life. Therefore, take no thought for your life. Now, what is Jesus saying to them? Is he saying, be thoughtless, mindless individuals? Well, of course not. Is he saying to them, you have no ability to think for yourself? Why, no. He's not saying that at all. It's like it is used by Paul in the book of Philippians. So that if you look at the idea up of take no thought, you come to the conclusion, I mean, you can study this out yourself, I invite you to, but the term simply means don't have anxiety for, do not worry about, do not fret, 
So the disciples were in a state, since he told them three times not to do it, I can't imagine him addressing that to them, saying the same thing three times if they weren't having the problem. And so Jesus, you know, had the disciples at times, they would be meeting and talking about something, and maybe thinking Jesus didn't know what they were talking about, but he always knew what they were talking about. You remember reading that in the Gospels? Well, we kind of have the same thing here. The disciples had apparently these discussions, and they were concerned, and they had some anxiety. But about what? Well, what did he say? Look in verse 25. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Uh, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? And verse number 31. Don't take thought or have anxiety or worry. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? Verse 34. Therefore, take no thought. Don't have this anxiety. So the disciples, think about this. The disciples had anxiety or worry and fretting about uh, what are we going to eat? That's how you know they're Baptist preachers. They're thinking about eating. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? Why would they be worried about these things? Well, stop just a minute. They've just been called by Jesus to follow him. If you remember, uh, about seven of these men, many believe that there are seven that were from Galilee, and probably all of them were in the fishing industry. We know for sure that Peter and Andrew were. We know for sure that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were in the fishing industry. And so when Jesus called these men to follow him, uh, then if you read the Gospel of Luke, you'll see that it says that they left all and followed him. So it didn't just mean, you know, kind of come along behind me here for a little bit. He meant a whole change of life. He meant surrender and yieldness to his purposes and his father's purposes. And he said to them, follow me. And they left their nets and they left their father, James and John did. They left the boats. They left the industry. They left whatever profession they were in. And they started following Jesus. You might notice they didn't sign a contract. They didn't know how long they would be following Jesus like this. They had no idea how they were going to have uh, any resources to take care of their family. Well, yeah, some of them had family. Peter had a mother-in-law. Don't tell me he'd take the mother-in-law and not get a wife. He had a wife. And if a man has a wife and has children... Uh, then he has responsibility. This ought to be preached all across America. If a man has a wife and if a man has children, he has a responsibility to take care of his wife and children. <laughs> that could sure be used a lot. And so these disciples who left their occupation, you don't read anywhere where Jesus said, don't worry about a thing about the finances. You'll get paid every Friday. It, there's nothing in there like that. He said nothing about it. He did say the birds of the air have... Uh, nests and the fox have holes, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He did say when they were challenged about the authority of Caesar and to pay taxes that he sent Peter down to the shore, remember, and took the money out of the fish's mouth and paid the taxes, rendering unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Is everybody with me here on this? And so we do understand that there, while Judas was the treasurer and he carried the money, there's nothing to indicate that he was a man of great resources and he gave them no cause to have any concern about the necessities of life. 
So it had to be. I mean, it had to be. Use your imagination a little bit. There's room for it. It had to be that at some point the disciples got together and they said, maybe one of them said, can you believe where we were and where we are now? Can you believe we are following the one that we know to be the Christ? Uh, who else could do the miracles that he is doing? He's already doing the miracles. Uh, who else could do this? Who else could teach like he teaches? Uh, even the enemies uh, agreed that never a man spake like this man. It was like every word he said came from God. Well, yes, of course it did. He said, I only speak the things my Father gives me to say. And he only does the works his Father gives him to do. And, and I, I can hear one of the disciples saying, I just can't believe that whereas just a weeks ago I was a fisherman, quite a different crowd than I'm running with right now. Uh, just weeks ago, I was in this kind of business, that kind of business. I was practicing some things that were illegal, trying to beat the Roman system of taxation, which sucked away their opportunities for prosperity, some kind of socialism probably. And so here you go, and they have this concern, and they have this worry. And so I can hear one of them saying, yeah, it's amazing that we're following Jesus. It is truly amazing, but I don't know. I've just, just been thinking lately, what are you wringing your hands about? Well, I'm just wondering, if this goes on, how are we going to eat? How are we going to drink? Come on, they didn't go to a water spigot and turn it on and drink the water. Uh, water, like it is in many places of the world, is not a commodity that's uh, just also all, always handy. Sometimes you fight for it, and sometimes there's great work for it in their culture and their understanding of things. So what are we going to eat, and what are we going to drink, and what are we going to do about clothing? Uh, and again, I remind you of the family situation. Jesus would tell them in chapter 7... If ye being, he, he's discipling his disciples. And he says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, so there you have it, at least some of them had families and children. If you know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more does your heavenly Father know how to give good things to those that ask him? And, and so the disciples were there, and they were wringing their hands, apparently, because he told them three times, don't do that. Don't have anxiety. Don't fret. Don't worry. And he said to them uh, that they should not have that kind of anxiety. And because they did, what did it tell us? Well, it tells us they're not properly focused. They are not seeing well. They're not. They are looking with an evil eye, not the single eye. Now listen to this. What Jesus teaches them is that their focus is not supposed to be on, let, let's, let's do it like this. Let's say that this side of the platform is low and this side of the platform is high. This side is what? Low. Come on, I, I need some participation. We'll be here all night. Uh, this side of the platform is low. Now, I'm asking you to remember because it's a possibility I'll forget by the time I get to going here in just a minute. But this side of the platform is low. This side of the platform is high. All right? Down here are the low-level issues of life. Food, drink, clothing. That's what they're concerned about. And those are things that are common to all men everywhere. It doesn't mean they're not important. No food, we don't live long. No water, uh, we're going to dehydrate. 
and die. No clothing, we're exposed to the elements. All right, so these are necessities. But here's what Jesus said. After all these things, do the Gentiles seek? Now, excuse me just a second. Do you really think that Jesus chose these 12 men to follow him so that they could focus their attention on the same thing the rest of the world is focused upon? The same thing they were focused upon before they ever met Jesus? No, come on. When Jesus comes into an individual's life, wouldn't it rather change his outlook and his focus and what is important? But the disciples were malfocused right now, and they were concerned about the material and the physical. That's why he said, don't lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. That's why he said, is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? In other words, don't we have a higher purpose than eat and drink and get dressed? That's what he's saying to them. So he is saying, don't you take thought for these things. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. And so they are over here focused on the low-level issues of life. It's not hard to lose focus and think about the low-level issues of life. I, 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 I'm as sincere as I know how to be. I much appreciate your pastor's words tonight and leading this congregation in prayer about the future of this country. But I can tell you one of the reasons we're primarily concerned. It's not just for our personal comfort and to have the freedom for our children or our grandchildren. As believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we are supposed to be concerned. Paul said, pray for those in places of authority that you may live a peaceable and quiet life and do the work that God has for us to do. Uh, because it is going to hinder the work of the gospel. Can I tell you this? That under the past administration, that, that if you'll talk to people in military chaplaincy, that during the past administration... Be, uh, during the eight years of the previous administration, that by the end of that eight years, that freedom to evangelize on military bases and reach our military with the gospel and reach into them with the gospel, uh, uh, those liberties were shrinking and shrinking and just about to be stripped away. So that's what matters about who is elected. That's what matters about who's in office. That's what matters about who receives appointments like today. Because we're not primarily concerned, oh, all of us might enjoy the freedoms and the comfort, but as a child of God, isn't our focus supposed to be on something higher than our personal comfort? I'm getting about three that's rights over here, so I'm going to try it over here. Aren't we supposed to be focused on something higher than our personal comforts and our personal ambitions? Well, that's what Jesus is teaching the disciples, and it lives in the Word of God, so all subsequent disciples could maintain the proper focus and not become malfocused, thinking that the things that are down here are the things that matter the most. See? That's what he's saying. So here are the disciples. If you can imagine this. Uh, if we could go near and bend an ear into their conversation you would have heard an undertone. Yeah. Sort of, if you could remember Israel in the wilderness, they were a lot concerned about food and drink. Okay, well, we got drink, but we didn't get it when we wanted it and how we wanted it. Okay, well, we have food every day, but we don't like this kind of food anymore. We don't place. Come on, is everybody with me here? Remember, some of their ancestors, they had these troubles of food and drink and clothing and the material things. And when they... 
When these people didn't have what they wanted in the way of those uh, bare necessities of life, they didn't say, don't worry, we can trust God. No, there was murmuring. I said that pretty much is the word that characterizes their wilderness journey. Unbelief and murmur. Unbelief and discontent. Unbelief and murmur, 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 murmur. And I can just see the disciples, are, yeah, but, oh, yeah, it's great to fall in, but I mean, what are you going to eat? What are you going to drink? I mean, what are you going to wear? And we don't know how long we're going to follow him. We've been at it now, let's say, six weeks. We've been at it six weeks. He hasn't said anything yet about paying, how, how we're supposed to take our care of our families. He hasn't even talked about these things. He hasn't given us any money. There's no record that he did anyway. And so the disciples are over here. Well, it's, it's, it's great to follow him. But what are we going to do a month from now or two months from now or three months from now? And they had great anxiety over the future, over food and drink and clothing. It's there. It's right there. I'm not wild in my imagination here. It's right there. That's what they were concerned about. So Jesus is going to go to work. Because if they're going to follow him, they have to get the focus off of the low-level issues of life and become focused upon the high-level purposes of the Father. Is everybody with me here? So if they're focused over here, uh, listen, Jesus did not, by the will of his Father, choose these men so they might live like the rest of the world. He chose them to accomplish the high-level purposes of the Father. And so here they are. Uh, take, no, take, take no thought for food, drink, water. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? How's this going to work out? So Jesus has to get their focus, watch, from here over to there. I'll tell you something I discovered in studying this. You're going to be amazed at this. If you're over here, you're not over there. I, I knew that would down be, you think, this guy from Oklahoma figured that out? Yep, sure did. If you're here, you are not there. Well, I kind of consider myself somewhere in between. That's fine if he said you could do that. But he said you couldn't do that. He said, no man can serve two masters. Come on, it's right here in our text. You cannot serve God in mammon. He didn't say you should not serve God in mammon. He said it very clearly. You cannot serve God in mammon. So it is impossible to live here and be there. You can't do it. So here are the disciples. It is evident that they are three times. He says to them, take no thought. Quit wringing your hands. Don't have this anxiety and this fretfulness. You're, you're worried about the things that everybody else in the world is worried about. And all the Gentiles are worried about. And you're concerned about this. So Jesus has the task of delivering them from here to there. Is everybody with me? Now, how's he going to do that? How's he going to do it? Well, he starts by calling attention to birds. Okay, use your imagination. Here are the disciples. Yeah, I know. They say, sure, but what are you going to eat? <laughs> you know, I don't know. What are you going to drink? And what are you going to wear? It just keeps going on. What are you going to eat? What are you going to drink? You can hear the undertone. If they would have just looked up, they would have seen birds flying through the air. Now, don't look at me like I'm weird. I'm not the one that brought up birds. Your Savior brought up the birds. And he said, consider the fowls of the air. 
if they would have just looked up and observed the birds that were flying in the air about them, maybe some of them whistling as they went, if they'd have paid attention to that, then it could have dawned on them, you know, these birds, these birds have no capacity, no ability to perpetuate a harvest, to gather into barns, and to store up their food. That's not what birds do. And if they would observe this, Jesus said that your heavenly Father feedeth them. So every day that passed by, the bird population of the world, according to Jesus, is fed by their heavenly Father. Where are we going to eat? Well, 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 he feeds birds. He feeds birds. Well, then he asked the question, are you not much better than they? Now, I know I'm on the West Coast, and there's a lot of tree huggers up and down the coast here. And if you ask the question to some of them, are we not better than birds? They would probably say, I don't know. Let's talk about that. We're not sure if we're better than birds or not. But you and I know we're better than birds. Jesus did not come to die for birds. He did not come to be the Savior of the world, to save the birds of the world. No, He came to save sinners. He came to save souls. That's why He came into this world. And Jesus is saying to them, if you just look at the bird population, you would see that your heavenly Father feeds the birds. And then He called attention to the Hula Lily. The hula lilies that would grow in the prairies and in the, in the meadows of Palestine. They say that the hula lily was something of magnificent beauty so that when it's in bloom, you look from a distance and you think, amazing, that's beautiful. But the amazing thing about it is the closer you looked at the hula uh, lily, they said, the more magnificent and beautiful it becomes. So that if you could put it under some magnification, it just explodes in beauty, the hula lily. You know what Jesus said to them? You're worried about being clothed? You're wringing your hands about what are you going to do for the future in the way of food and drink and clothing? And I take care, your heavenly father takes care of birds. And now you're concerned about clothing? Haven't you seen the humility? That Solomon on the day that he looked the most glamorous, glorious, glittering with gold and silvers bedecked with jewels on those special occasions the king would come out that Solomon was no comparison to the beauty of the hula lily are you listening to this whose beauty lasted a grand total of two days two days and he said don't don't miss this part your father clothed them for a two-day purpose. As they declined, the workers would come in with carts and on donkey back and backpacks, and they'd gather up the hula lily. They'd take it to Jerusalem and to the villages around, and they would sell it to the bakers. Yeah, those that did the bakeries. They would sell it to them because uh, 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 Alfred Edersheim points out that, uh, that there was a certain baked good that could be a perfect uh, fire for that would be the hula lily because it, it creates instant heat and intense heat, but not sustained heat. And it made it perfect for this baked item by which people would celebrate and eat every year. is a very popular thing. And he said, see that hula lily? Your heavenly father closed that for two days. That's his work, and he's called you to do something much higher than 
do what the hula lily does. After two days, it's put in the oven, and then you come back a few days later, and you see this big old heap of ashes out here. Some uh, unknown person that didn't know might walk by and say, what's this incredible heap of ashes out here? That was the hula lilies you were admiring. They were one day spectacular beauty. The next day, they're ashes. And your heavenly Father clothed them. Shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Now, I've got to remind you something here. That while these disciples wrung their hands, Jesus reminded them in this sixth chapter, would you listen to this? Twelve times that his Father is their Father. Twelve times. Twelve times. Sixteen times in the Sermon on the Mount. Twelve times in chapter 6. Jesus said, your heavenly Father, your Father which is in heaven, your heavenly Father, your Father which is in heaven, your Father. He tells them, listen, twelve times. Why are you worried? My Father is your Father. That's what He tells them. And that's what He teaches them. And yet, though they have such an one as their heavenly Father, they have anxiety and they worry and they're fretting till Jesus had to address the issue and He is going to get their focus from here on the low-level issues of life to the high-level purposes of God. And the high-level purposes of the Father have to do with the destination of eternal souls. Excuse me just a second. Judas betrayed Him. And the rest of the disciples or apostles, they laid the doctrinal foundation, Ephesians 2, that we're still building on today. They had high-level work to do. I'm telling you right now that the work of those apostles was high-level stuff. And he is moving them from there, the low level, to the high level. Now, come on, you don't have to be a theologian to figure this out. We're supposed to be followers of Jesus. I said we're supposed to be followers of Jesus. We're supposed to be His disciples. Well, I'm not an apostle. No, but the whole Sermon on the Mount is what it takes to be a true follower, an authentic follower of Jesus Christ, not a fake disciple, a real disciple of Jesus Christ. It's right there. And I think maybe... That the reason that many churches uh, are frustrated by the lack of effectiveness in their city, in their community, it's because there are too many of the people of God, and sometimes it can be the preacher himself, is focused upon the low-level issues of life, and it's not all about the high-level purposes of the Father. Hold on just a second. I'm just like your pastor. I got to watch the confirmation of... Uh, Amy Coney Barrett tonight. Uh, I, I don't remember if I've ever got to watch uh, a uh, swearing in of a Supreme Court justice. If I do, I don't remember it. But this one is particularly important, it seemed to me. And I got to watch it. I was glad I had the time to do that. That's really good. But can I have your attention? What you and I are supposed to be focused on is of greater purpose than who sits on the Supreme Court. It's of greater purpose than who wins the Senate and the House. It's a greater purpose than who becomes President of the United States. Oh, I think we ought to be concerned. 
I definitely think we ought to be concerned. I pray about it. My wife prays about it. Our son he teaches U.S. history. He loves it. And, and, and he's definitely praying about it. I'm just saying, don't, no question we ought to. But when you want to talk about the high-level purposes of the Father, uh, then the concern of our nation is a sub-point to that. Yep, it's still on. I think you heard me, didn't you? That compared to the work of, the, of Jesus Christ and the followers of Jesus Christ, what goes on in the Pentagon isn't as important as what goes on through his churches. What goes on in the Oval Office isn't important as what goes on through the work of his churches. His last words from heaven to this earth were addressed to his churches. I might remind you of that. And Peter also said he would know, filled with the Holy Spirit and inspired by the, word of, uh, by the Holy Spirit of God, Peter wrote that the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. You know, if Jesus came down to the United States of America and walked upon this earth to clean house, he wouldn't start at the White House. He wouldn't start at the Supreme Court building. And he wouldn't start at the at, at where the House of Representatives and the Senate meet. If Jesus came down and he came to this area, he wouldn't clean out all the mayors and all the liberals and all the people that are contrary in their moral understanding, contrary to his word and his will. I'll tell you where he'd start. He'd start, he, he said it, he'd start with what matters most, his churches. Think about that. So where's the focus? I'm not accusing. I'm not accusing. I'm, I, lo- I already told you what I think about this church. I love coming here. But I'm just saying, we have meetings like this to kind of take a look at ourselves in the mirror of the Word of God. And there's not a one of us that don't have the capacity to lose focus. I said every one of us have the ability to lose focus. Every church that exists has the ability to lose focus. Oh, every church that exists has the ability to lose focus. And the only way that I know to keep focus is to go back to what Jesus said. And he said, you can't be here and you can't be there. You don't, you, listen, you're, you're supposed to think different than the Gentiles. You're not supposed to be about the same, concerned about the same thing. The life is more than meat and the body is more than raiment. We have a much higher purpose than to attend to the physical and the material things of this life and Jesus said the high level purposes of your father are what matter most and he tries works to get their focus back here where it goes hold on well yeah but what about that it's not like uh, food and water are luxuries they're rather necessary it's not like clothing is a luxury. We've made it one. But it's not like it's luxury. It's rather necessary. I, I, I know. I understand that. But he said, seek you first the kingdom of God. We're talking high-level stuff. If you join me, we can get out of here in just a little bit. If you don't, I can drag this on out. Now, come on. When we talk about this, he said, seek you first the kingdom of God. We're talking about the high-level purposes of God. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Do right by God. It's not a salvation text. He's not talking about righteousness unto salvation. He is talking about his people doing the right thing. 
Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Oh, and these things, those things shall be added unto you. Come on, this isn't over anybody's head. And these things shall be added unto you. Ladies and gentlemen, that's true or not true. That's either true or not true. If I stood up here tonight and I said to Pastor Fong, Pastor Fong, uh, before I preach tonight, I want to just say that I have really lost confidence in the validity of John 3.16. It would take him about two seconds to get up out of his chair, walk up here, and say, why don't you go back to Oklahoma? The sooner the better. If you don't have the proper value for John 3.16, you have no business in this pulpit. But I have to say to you, my friend, that Matthew 6.33 is every bit as much the Word of God and came from the lips of Jesus and very much as authoritative and trustworthy as John 3.16. And a person can come to a church like this and be expelled because they're heresy. They don't believe John 3.16, but many members of Baptist churches are in good standing and refuse to believe Matthew 6.33. You seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Things, stuff, mammon, you'll get what you need. These things shall be added unto you.